Uh, well, hey guys, it is uh, always good uh, to get to be with you. Uh, it is even better to get to be this far away from you so that I don't have to smell you. All right, uh, so I am excited about that. But I was talking with Pastor Mike uh, before before we got started tonight, and uh, he and I were talking about like there is loads of trash all around. So here's what here's what we're gonna do. Uh, whatever team brings the biggest bag of trash to Mega Relay tonight will be rewarded beyond your wildest dreams. All right, uh, by uh, me. And Pastor Mike, all right? So uh, y'all uh, take that seriously. And if no one comes with trash, then you all lose, all right? Uh, we're just, everyone's going to lose. Uh, but hey, I wanna know, um, I just, I like to know the room. I've, I've been around, but I just wanna make sure that I know who, uh, who is in this room, who I'm speaking to. So if you are a sixth grader, will you just like make some noise? Let me know where you are. Yeah. Ooh, hurrah, right? Uh, uh, that was terrible. Um, all right, uh, seventh grade. All right, a little bit terrible, but like super disappointing. Right? Uh, I'm just playing. You're loved by Jesus. Uh, eighth graders, eighth graders. Hey, there we go. Eighth grade is here and ready to charge hell with a water pistol, it sounds like. Uh, all right, ninth grade, freshman. Freshman, hey, yeah, all right, yes. Yes, sir, I like it, all right. Uh, tenth grade? Yeah. Hey, awesome, 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 good, good, good. All right, juniors, where are juniors at? Yeah, and the juniors are kind of offended. Juniors are kind of offended that I didn't call them seniors because, right, y'all are seniors, you're doing all that, but you're not seniors at vacation, okay? Where are the seniors at? Yeah, that's terrible, man. Man, hurrah, hurrah. I don't want y'all to hurt your hips or anything. Gosh, sounds like Jay Crutchfield out here. All right, um, uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and meet me in Acts chapter 20. Uh, Acts chapter 20 is where we're gonna be tonight. Uh, so here, here's, what, here's what I want you to know about me. Here, here's what I'm gonna, uh, my commitment to you is, all right, so uh, I love having a good time. I love being crazy, all of those things. Um, I was a, a student pastor for five years. Uh, it was great. Um, but here, here's my conviction. I know this is Pastor Mike's as well, so I know that y'all are used to this. Um, I think that if you can learn uh, geometry and trigonometry and history and science, biology, all of those things, if you can do all of those things, things, uh, then you are uh, fully capable of going deep into uh, the things of the Lord. And so uh, tonight, we're not going to do like cotton candy, right, cheesecake uh, time. This is going to be serious time. Uh, and so uh, I am going to commit to you that I'm going to treat you uh, just like I would if we were in here on a Sunday morning. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, over the next few minutes, uh, zero in, right? This is the last night. I know some of you are tired. Uh, some of you are excited. Some of you are thinking about Mega Relay. Uh, some of you are thinking about what is the snack between now and Mega Relay. Uh, and some of you are thinking about that honey that you saw on Monday. And now it is your last chance, right, to try to get her Snapgram or whatever uh, you, you crazy kids do, all right? Um, uh, but uh, he, here's, so that's my commitment to you. Uh, that's what, and here's, here's what I know, right? For some of you, this week has been a week already 
This week has been a week uh, that uh, the Lord has done something in your heart. He's done something in your life. Uh, And maybe you can't put your finger on it just yet. And maybe it's something you're still thinking through. Uh, But the Lord has done something. He is doing something uh, for some of you. uh, Maybe this week uh, you've been asking the Lord to do something in your heart. You've been asking him to do something in your life. and, uh, And maybe you feel like he hasn't done it yet right? But, but here's what I know. He hasn't done it yet, right? And the week isn't over. And even, even the week's over and maybe you feel like, man, Lord, I was asking you to do something and you didn't do it right. Understand this, that God's word never returns void. Right, it always accomplishes what he wills. And then there's some of you uh, who, who this week, um, even in here as we've come into worship or uh, as you've been in your small groups uh, studying scripture, that this week has been uh, less about God and his word and what he wants to do in your heart and in your life. And it has been more about what you are looking to do. Uh, and what you are uh, hoping to gain and accomplish or whatever it may be. And my prayer for you, what I've been praying for you uh, is that tonight that the Lord would break your heart and he would work in great and wonderful and mighty ways uh, because that is what you need. uh, That is what we need. And so uh, we're gonna look at Acts chapter 20 tonight. And and as we look at this, we're gonna see a challenge uh, that God gives to us uh, through faith through the Apostle Paul uh, and through the way Luke has recorded uh, Paul's words here in Acts chapter 20. So as we look at at Acts 20, uh, we're gonna see this, that Jesus frees us to live life as it was meant to be. Jesus frees us to live life as it uh, was meant to be. Uh, Several uh, several decades back, there was a guy uh, named uh, Ernest Shackleton. And Shackleton was leading an expedition uh, to the North Pole. He was going to go and explore. And, and there's some debate over whether or not this was the actual wording, the actual way that the ad was worded. Uh, but this has come down to us. And uh, Shackleton put this ad in the local newspaper there in London where he lived, uh, looking for men who would go on this expedition with him. And, and it said this, it said, men wanted uh, for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. And he he put that uh, that ad out looking for men who would come and go with him to explore uh, the unexplored. And he assumed that no one would respond. He he assumed that no one was going to come. And then to his great surprise, he had more people apply for the job than he could take. He he had more people apply for the job uh, than he could interview. He, He had more people respond than he knew what to do with. And what he found out and what that teaches us is this, is that people like to be challenged. People like to be challenged. So, so don't, don't come to me, right? Don't come to someone else and invite them and say, hey, uh, we, uh, we've got this, this thing that we need to do and it's, it's really not that important. It's, it's really doesn't mean that much. Um, there's, there's not really much in it for you. There's not really much in it for me. Uh, but uh, do you wanna come and, and do this with me? Right, that doesn't get anyone excited. That doesn't get anyone excited. But if you, if I came to you, especially say like a, an eighth grade boy, and I said, hey, uh, I threw a Frisbee on the roof, right? The eighth grade boy is gonna say, let's climb the roof. <laughs> let's climb the building. Let's get it. And then whenever we get up there, uh, we are going to let everyone know what we have done. We're gonna scream from that, whatever it may be. 
Uh, tonight, this passage that we're looking at from Acts 20, we're going to get a challenge from the Apostle Paul where he is going to challenge us uh, to risk it all for God's glory. To, to not live for ourselves, uh, to not live for the temporary, for this world, but to live for the eternal. And, and what he shows us in this is that Jesus frees us to live the life as it was, to live life as it was meant to be lived. So look with me here at Acts chapter 20. We'll read uh, from verse 22 down to verse 25. So uh, go ahead and stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word uh, here in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22. We're gonna pick up in the middle of this and then I'll set, uh, kind of give you an idea of what's happening here. So Acts chapter 20, verse 22, God's word says this. And now behold, I I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And we're gonna read down to verse 25 just so we, we can feel what he's saying here. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is God's word. You can be seated. Hey, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to, to bless our time. Father, we pray now that you would work through your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you would move in power over the next few minutes. God, I pray that you would work in my heart. Lord, that you would help me to see and to know and to feel the freedom that only Jesus can give. So Father, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so as we, we look here at Acts 20, uh, Paul, he, he gives us, clues us in on a few freedoms that we have uh, because of what Jesus has done and, and because of what Jesus does do. And the, the first freedom is this, is that we have freedom to go because Jesus is better. We have freedom to go because Jesus is better. Understand that, that none of us were created to simply sit and watch life pass us by. None of us were created to sit and, and to just watch life happen. We weren't saved to just sit on uh, our hands and do nothing or to sit uh, on the sideline. We were, we were saved. We were created to live life. We were created uh, for adventure, we could say. That, that, that's what the Lord calls us to. Have you ever wondered why we like stories of adventure so much? Have you ever wondered why, why does the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, why is it done so well? Why do people love Star Wars? Why, why do the little boys like to pretend that they are knights or that they are superheroes and, and girls like to pretend that they're princesses and brides or, or whatever it may be? Right, that's not an accident. That, that the reason we, we love those things, that the reason that we enjoy those things is because the Lord has created us for adventure. Right? He, he has created us to live a life that is about more than just watching life pass us by. He, he's created us to, to go with him. I, I love C.S. Lewis. I, I love um, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe, maybe y'all have read the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, woo, woo, yeah, hey. 
my homeschoolers are here. Let's go, right? Uh, uh, so, uh, but in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, we're, we're reading uh, this series with our kids right now. And at one point, you know who Aslan is? Um, uh, the kids, are, they're talking to Mr. Beaver and they ask about Aslan, uh, this lion, and they find out that he's a lion. And, and Lucy asks Mr. Beaver, she says, well, is, is he good? And Mr. Beaver says something, something to the effect of, he says, oh, heavens no, he, he is not. Or she asks, is he safe? And he says, heavens no, he is not safe, but he's good, right? And that's a, that's a picture of who our God is, right? That he is good, but he is not safe. And he doesn't call us to simple, safe lives. He, he calls us He's calling you even right now to give your life, to live your life, to put your yes on the table, to follow him. And so, so we haven't been called to just simply sit. And that's what we see Paul showing us in the Ephesians here in this passage. So, so where we're picking up in, in Acts chapter 20, we've been walking through the book of Acts over the last uh, several nights. So Acts chapter 20 is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And, and it's one of my favorite chapters because it reminds me that Paul wasn't a great preacher. Uh, so if you were to go back a little bit before uh, this passage we've just read, you would find this picture of this guy named Eutychus. Now Eutychus, it says that he was a young man, uh, but it says that Paul was preaching and he was preaching late into the night and Eutychus is up in the balcony uh, and it, he starts to nod off in the balcony and Eutychus falls off the balcony and lands dead. Right, that Paul put him to sleep through his uh, preaching, but then he's, he's raised from the dead. And then what we have here, where we pick up here, is Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. So uh, the Ephesian elders, this is a church uh, that has been planted, uh, that Paul has been working in for the last three years. So Paul's been giving his life for the last three years, serving alongside uh, this church at Ephesus. And now he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. And the, the elders would have been those who were leading the church, right? They were the ones uh, who, who were leading and guiding and, and feeding and, and shepherding the church. And so now he's speaking to them. And these are really his last words. I mean, we read there in verse 25, he says, look, you who I'm speaking to, you're never gonna see my face again. You're never going to hear my voice again. And so what this means is that what Paul says here is important, right? If you had loved ones, if you, some of you have friends in here that you've been friends with for three years. Some of you have friends in here that you've been friends with for three days, right? Some of you have a camp girlfriend or boyfriend and y'all are in love for like the last 15 minutes, right? It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But if you you knew that you were never going to see them again, then what you said would matter, wouldn't it? Right, you, you would want them to know exactly how you feel. You would want them to know exactly what is important. And that's what Paul does here. Paul understands, I'm never gonna see them again. I'm never gonna see uh, these, uh, these brothers, these uh, leaders again. And so what I tell them, they need to know, right? It's important, he's, he's not gonna waste any words. And so here in verse 22, he tells us that he's leaving, but he's not leaving because he's tired of them. 
He's not leaving because he wants a change of scenery. He's, he's not leaving because he just needs to get out. He's, he's leaving because he's being constrained by the Holy Spirit. Look at there at verse 22. He says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. He's leaving out of obedience to what the Holy Spirit is doing in his life. He's leaving out of obedience to what the Holy Spirit's doing in his heart. It says that he's constrained by the Spirit. That word constrained, it literally means bound with chains. He's painting this picture that there's nothing else that he can do. He has to leave right? because he is bound in chains. He, he is being led away by the Holy Spirit. There's a, a strong sense of compulsion to go. And for him to not to go would be to be disobedient. Now, th this isn't like us deciding where we're going to go for dinner later. This, this isn't like some of you seniors, maybe you've been spending the last few months or the last year trying to decide what, are, what am I going to do for college? Where, where am I going to go to school? Am I going to go to school? Am I not going to go to school? What am I going to do? No, this, this leaving was Paul jumping into the jaws of danger. This leaving was Paul recognizing that there was nothing but trouble ahead of him. Now, we've already said that it's the Holy Spirit that's leading Paul. So maybe you ask this question, right? Well, how do I know what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do? How, how do I know? How do I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the Holy Spirit of God? How do I hear that the way Paul did? Well, know this. When we walk with Jesus, it's easier to identify what the Holy Spirit wants us to do than we often realize. And oftentimes we complicate what God is calling us to do. Oftentimes we make it much more difficult because here's the thing, oftentimes we make it about us. Right? Oftentimes we make it about, about what we want rather than what God wants. So how do you know God's will for your life? How do you know what God wants you to do with the rest of your days on earth? Anyone ever heard of St. Augustine? I'm not talking about the city. I'm talking about the guy that the city's named after, St. Augustine. I love what he said about, about finding God's will or knowing God's will for your life. He said this. He said, if you want to know God's will for your life, here's what you do. You love God and you do what you please. You love God. You seek to honor him. You seek to follow him. And then you do what you want to do. You, you do where you, you feel like he is leading you as you love him. See, for Paul, God's will wasn't something that protected him from danger. It was what sent him to it. See, I, I think sometimes when we think about God's will, we think, well, well, God would never want anything dangerous. He would never want anything difficult. He would never want anything hard. The problem is, that is the exact opposite of what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is God over and over and over again calling his people to go do hard and difficult things. If my, my boys were in here right now, uh, uh, this is something we're trying to instill in them. And, and so I, if I asked them, what do Crowder boys do? They would tell you, Crowder boys do hard things. Because easy things aren't worth doing. 
what, what we see all through scripture is that believers are called to do hard things. That Jesus oftentimes leads us to hard and difficult and dangerous places. Hey, here, here's something that I've been praying for y'all this week. I've been praying that there are people, there, there are students in this room that because of what happens in this room, that you're feeling God's call on your heart to, to lay it all on the line and to say, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna lay my life down and I'm gonna lay my wants and my desires down and I'm gonna risk it all for the glory of King Jesus. And the way I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna get serious about this call that the Lord has given me to missions. And I'm gonna go to places where Jesus has never been named. I'm gonna go to people who have never heard the name of Jesus and I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach the gospel to those people because understand that there are people groups that have yet to hear the gospel and the reason they have yet to hear the gospel is because it's hard to get it there. Maybe it's that they don't want to hear, it's hard to find, or it's difficult to get to. And so we need an army of Christians. We need an army of believers. We need an army of students who are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to do the hard things. I'm going to do the difficult things that, that I'm going to go because I understand that going and following Jesus is better than staying here and sitting on my hands. It's better than, than staying here and and not doing anything. See, when we think about God's will, we've got to be careful not to confuse our preferences for God's will. Right? That, that because I like it, then that must mean that that's God's will for my life. Because I'm good at it, that must mean that, that that's God's will for my life. Because it's easy, that must mean that I'm, it's God's will for my life. That, that we, we confuse too often our preferences for what God is calling us to do. You know, when, when I was in uh, high school, uh, I, would, I would hear people say, I just feel like it's God's will for me to break up with this person. And my thought was always like, all right, not only are you gonna break up with them, but like the Lord is breaking up with them too, right? Like, like the Lord, and, and here's, I don't think you should date in high school anyway, but that's a whole nother sermon for a whole, whole nother thing. Um, but we've gotta be careful that we don't confuse Something that we like and something that is easy is that being God's will for your life. Here's ultimately what God's will is for your life. This is what God's will is for my life. This is what God's will is for all of our lives. Ultimately, God's will for all of us is that we would spend our lives making much of Jesus. Now, that might look different in different ways. It, it might mean that the Lord is calling you to uh, be a pastor or to be a missionary, but it, it could be that God is calling you uh, to spend your life making much of Jesus by being a stay-at-home mom or by being a teacher or by being a plumber or a baker or a candlestick maker or a lawyer or whatever it may be. Rather, the Lord is calling you to make much of Jesus. That, that is the baseline call for every person in this room. That we are called to make much of Jesus, but we're called to make much of Jesus in whatever area we go. And so for some of us, that means that we're gonna, we're gonna do full-time ministry but even if you're not in full-time ministry, your calling is still to make much of Jesus. What that means is right now, as a middle school or high school or college student, your calling in life is first and foremost to make much of Jesus. That's what God is calling you today. So understand this, that Jesus is better than your comfort. 
Jesus is better than what you want. Jesus is better than what you desire. Jesus is better than anything and everything. And because of that, we can go, we can follow him knowing that he only is going to give us good and never bad. And when we, when we do, when we follow Jesus to wherever he's calling us, we don't settle for something less, but we get something infinitely greater. Right, see, Jesus always gives us greater, something better than anything that the world can offer. Anything that the, the world might try to give you, Jesus always gives you something better. Jim Elliott, he was a missionary uh, who was martyred for, uh, uh, on, his, uh, on his mission field along with a group of other missionaries uh, decades ago. And uh, in his journal, before he passed away, he wrote this. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You're, you can't keep your life. I, I read a statistic today that 100% of people born will die. Right? Every one of us in here is going to die. You cannot keep your life. And so you're not a fool to give up your life to follow Jesus, to gain something that death cannot take from you. That's the beauty of what Jesus does. What Jesus does, death can't steal. But everything that you can gain in this world, death will rob you of. Sometimes not even death, sometimes it's just time. He's spend years in school building a reputation. You, you graduate high school and within months, no one cares what you did. Within months, no one cares who you were. You, you spend decades working a job, saving money so that you can retire. And then you realize that, man, time runs out and death comes quick. Money runs out, health runs out. And so we're not a fool to give up what we can't keep to gain what we can't lose. And so in verse 22, we see that we have freedom to, to go because Jesus is better. Next in verse 23, we see this, that we have freedom to suffer because Jesus is worthy. We have freedom to suffer because Jesus is worthy. Now, it might sound strange to talk about suffering, as a freedom. But he, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus turns the world upside down. So the world views suffering as always bad. And the Bible presents suffering as a result of the fall. Right? That, that, so we suffer because of sin's effect in the world. What the Bible also tells us is that suffering can actually be a gift. Suffering can be a gift for the Christian. We'll see that here, how it works. So in verse 22, Paul tells us two things, right? He says the Holy Spirit is sending him to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what's gonna happen. Verse 23, he tells us, well, I do know one thing that's gonna happen. So, so look at verse 23. Verse 22, he ends by saying, not knowing what will happen to me there, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. The only thing Paul knows is that the Holy Spirit is sending him to Jerusalem 
And however he gets to Jerusalem, whatever that path is, imprisonment and afflictions await him. When I was in high school, this guy named Joel Osteen wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. Right? Praise the Lord, Paul didn't read that book. Right? Uh, well, God just wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. God doesn't want you, first and foremost, to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. God, first and foremost, wants you to be holy. Your, uh, we, I was talking with some students earlier, right? Your best life now is a terrible eternity later. Man, if this world is the closest thing to heaven you ever get, that's bad news. But for the Christian, this world is the closest thing to hell we'll ever get. And that's, that's good news for us. And so here in verse 23, Paul says, he says, the, the Holy Spirit has testified to him. Literally, the, the Holy Spirit has made a solemn declaration about the truth. The Holy Spirit has, has clearly and seriously spoken to Paul and told him, what waits for you is imprisonment and affliction. He says, Paul, you're gonna follow me. You're gonna follow me where I take you. You're gonna follow me where I lead you. And it's not gonna be green pastures. It's not going to be easy. Instead, you are gonna be thrown in prison. You are going to be afflicted. You are going to suffer for my glory. You're gonna suffer for my namesake. And so the Holy Spirit has, has spoken clearly to Paul. And so maybe, maybe you're asking the question, how did Paul hear the Holy Spirit? How do I know? How does the Holy Spirit speak today? How, how does he speak to me? So here's the truth. The Holy Spirit speaks just as clearly and just as seriously today as he did to Paul. So how does he do it? Well, he speaks through his word. Maybe you say, man, I would love to hear the audible voice of God. If you wanna hear God speak out loud, then read your Bible out loud. Right, that's God speaking. If you wanna know God's will for your life, read the Bible. So God, the, the Holy Spirit, he speaks through his word. And second, he speaks through his people. He speaks through his church. And, and so maybe, maybe you're, you're wrestling with, what do I do next? What's the next step for me? Where, where do I go after high school? Or what is the Lord calling me to do? Uh, well, have you asked Pastor Mike what he sees in you? Not like, is there potential or whatever, but have you asked Pastor Mike or asked your small group leaders that have walked with you over the last few years here at Central, have you asked them like, hey, what do you see maybe my gifting might be? What do you think might be something that the Lord could, could do with me? But then finally, he speaks through his word, he speaks through his people, but then he speaks through your heart. Now, don't hear me say, follow your heart. That's not what I'm saying. But if you have the Holy Spirit alive and dwelling in you, if you've trusted Christ, then the Holy Spirit's voice is speaking to you. The question is, are you in a position to hear? And are, you, are you listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Or are you listening to the voice of everything else out there? And so Paul says, the Holy Spirit has testified to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. So where is this suffering that is promised where it's gonna happen? It's gonna happen in every city. There's no escaping it. The Holy Spirit is leading Paul to suffer, but he's not leading Paul to suffer as punishment. He's, he's leading Paul to suffer because of love. See, through suffering, we learn that Jesus really is worthy. 
See, the Lord uses suffering. He uses pain. This is actually one, I think, this is one of the greatest apologetics. This is one of the greatest defenses for the Christian faith is that in the Christian faith, one of the things that we learn is that suffering is not pointless. No other worldview can give you that. No other, no other worldview can give you a purpose or a reason for your suffering, but, but the Christian faith does. And so, so why does the Lord allow suffering in the lives of his people? Well, first, suffering wages war against sin. Suffering has a way of being used by the Lord to kill our pride to kill our self-reliance, and it's painful, but, but here's the thing, oftentimes correction is painful. Right? Oftentimes life-saving is painful. My, my mom called me today, and she had to have a, a minor surgery this morning, and they didn't, they didn't put her to sleep, but they numbed, they numbed the area for the work that they were having to do. The problem was is that the tissue was so inflamed that the, the medicine they used to numb her didn't go all the way down. And so as they, were, as they were cutting this thing away, she could feel what was happening. Not, not all of it, but she could feel what was happening. But what she understood was that the pain was worth it. That through the pain, she was actually being saved. Through the pain, she was actually being spared. And so the Lord has a way of using suffering that it might hurt, but it wages war against our sin. Second, another way that he uses suffering is to strengthen our faith. James 1 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Well, how can you have joy when you encounter trials? You can have joy when you encounter trials because what he goes on to say is that these trials, that they, they produce steadfastness and they ultimately, they complete and they perfect your faith. But then there's a, a third way that the Lord uses suffering in our lives, and it's to remind us of eternity. It's to remind us that this world isn't all that there is, that there is a day coming when suffering will be no more. There's a day coming when we will not have to deal with suffering. We won't have to deal with pain. We won't have to deal with fighting or with war or with tears or with conflict or any of it. Because Jesus will have come and he will have made all things new. Now, Paul, he's, he's told, I, I'm, going, I'm going to suffer. So how, how could he do that, right? How, how could he, he, he could have disobeyed the Holy Spirit, right? Do you remember what Jonah did, right? Jonah tried to run from God's call and, and he ran, but you remember what happened? He ends up in the belly of a whale. Paul could have been like Jonah and he could have run, but instead he turns and he, he faces suffering head on. How, how could Paul do that? Is it because he had some kind of like superhuman strength? So, some kind of crazy super Christian faith? That's not the case at all. See, Paul could face suffering not because he was so great, but because he'd prepared for suffering before it came. So how do we prepare to suffer? Because he, here's the promise of scripture is we will suffer. The experience of life is that we will suffer. We will experience pain. We, we will experience heartache. We, we will experience pressure. So, so how do we prepare for suffering like Paul? I'm gonna give you the secret, all right? Here's the secret. If you will do this, you will be ready to suffer. 
my pastor growing up, he used to say that you are either, uh, you're either coming into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. That, that suffering is natural. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you right now, how do you, how do you prepare to walk through suffering the way Paul did? Here's the secret. Go to church, read your Bible, pray, and remind yourself of the gospel. That sounds really ordinary, doesn't it? Growing up, we would call those Sunday school answers, right? What's the answer to this? I, Jesus, I don't know, right? What, what, did you read your Bible? Pray, I, I don't know. What, what, uh, those things are actually is what the, the Puritans, they would call the ordinary means of grace. The way that the Lord strengthens you, the way that he works in your heart, typically is not through some kind of mystical act. But it's as you spend time with him reading his word and praying and memorizing and meditating on scripture. So you, you gather together with the church. And Pastor Mike would tell you this if he were standing here, so I'm gonna tell you this as well. Uh, look around. This isn't the church. This is part of the church. But you need senior citizens and not just the senior citizens that are here, right? You need senior citizens, but here's, here's the thing. Senior citizens need you. You are not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today, right? You're the church right now. And so don't rob yourself of the joy that it is to get to gather and worship with people who are older than you. People don't look like you. People don't like what you like. I love what Garrett said earlier when he was leading worship. He was talking about how whenever we sing, that in many ways we're singing to one another. Or we're encouraging one another. We gather with the church to encourage one another, but also to be encouraged by one another. So if you want to be prepared to suffer, read your Bible, pray, gather together with the church, and remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself that, that Jesus loved you. Jesus died for you. Jesus forgave you. Jesus has promised you an eternity. And what Paul says in Romans 8 is that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. There's nothing that can happen if you are in Christ. Understand this. If you are in Christ, there is nothing that can happen in your life that can remove God's love from you. Death cannot take God's love from you. Sickness cannot take God's love from you. Famine cannot take God's love from you. He says nakedness cannot take God's love from you. There is nothing that can take God's love from you. So suffering, so oftentimes we're tempted to say, suffering means that God doesn't love me. No, just the opposite. Suffering means that he does love you. Because when we suffer as believers, we don't suffer in our own strength. We suffer not just with the Lord, but we suffer being sustained by him, being, being carried along by him. And so we have freedom to suffer because Jesus is worthy. And then finally, we see this, we have freedom to live because Jesus is precious. We have freedom to live because Jesus is precious. Now, when you hear that word precious, I wonder what comes to mind. If you're like me, First thing that comes to mind is my precious, right? Gollum from Lord of the Rings. One point this week, I thought I saw him walking through the lobby, but it was a sixth grade boy. It was weird. I don't know. Um, 
maybe, maybe when you hear that word precious, maybe you think of like a precious stone. Maybe you think of, oh, what a precious child. Like Paul, we, we've got to see ourselves correctly. So look at verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Let's stop right there. This is, maybe this sounds like Paul is devaluing himself. Sounds like self-loathing or self-hate. Paul says, I, I, don't, I don't account my life of any value. It's not... It's not precious to myself. What Paul's doing here is he's, he's not devaluing himself. What Paul's doing here is he's speaking of his temporary life now. See, what gave Paul freedom to live the way he did was that he understood eternity. That Paul didn't live for the moment, he lived for the eternal. And I think that's the greatest danger facing you right now. The greatest danger as a middle school student, as a high school student, the greatest temptation for you is that you would live for right now rather than living for eternity. That you would make every decision in your life based on what's happening right now rather than based on eternity, rather than understanding that there is coming a day and that day is coming sooner than you think it is where you will stand before a holy God. And on that day when you stand before a holy God and, and when you have to to Come to your own defense and answer, why should I let you into my kingdom if your answer is anything other than the fact that I have put my faith in Jesus Christ and I belong to him, then what you will hear on that day, that apart from Jesus, you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And on that day, you will, you'll stand before a holy God. You'll, you'll stand before the Father and you will realize in that moment, I lived my life for the temporary rather than the eternal. I, I lived my life for what could happen on this world at this moment, at this time, rather than the next 10 billion years. Because I understand this, eternity is a long time. And understand this as well, eternity is a long time to be wrong about. And so here, what Paul is doing is he's calling us to set our minds on the eternal. See, life is a vapor. That, that's why his life in this world wasn't precious to him. It's not that he's got a warped view of himself. It's that he has a right view of Jesus and eternity. And because Jesus is precious, then what that means is that eternity is waiting. He said, some of you in this room, you struggle with real things. And when I mean real things, I mean your, your greatest struggle is not that you, your Alexa isn't working. Some of you, you struggle with real things. Your greatest struggle isn't that you're not as drippy as the pastor. That worked, right? That's, that means that, okay, just make sure. Right, see, some of you, you don't want to go home tomorrow because your home life isn't good. Some of you are going to leave tomorrow wondering if your parents are still married. Some of you are going to leave tomorrow wondering how you're going to deal with this problem. 
you're going to walk out of this kind of staycation bubble that isn't really the real world, and you're going to walk back into the real world, and it's going to hurt. Some of you deal with real suffering. The answer to your suffering is not found in yourself. The answer to your suffering isn't found in someone else, is not found in what this world can give you. The answer to your suffering is found in Jesus who loved you, who died for you, and who works in you. The, the answer to your suffering is eternity. Which means the, the way to real life, the way life was meant to be lived, it's not found by looking to someone else or something else. It's found by looking to Jesus who is precious. It's found by looking to Jesus who loved you and who died for you and who saved you. And, and Jesus wants you to have life and have it abundant. See, when Jesus saves you, he doesn't save you just to bless you for eternity. He saves you to bless you right now. He saves you to give hope and peace right now. And that doesn't mean that he takes you out of the suffering or he takes the suffering from you. But what it means is that when Jesus saves you, he gives you this peace that passes understanding. He gives you this peace that, that cannot be explained. And so, now what this means, it, it doesn't mean that we should just shut off the world and, and wait for death or, or wait for Jesus. No, look at how Paul ends verse 24. He says, I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, and so because of that, I serve Jesus. He says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Every person in here has a course that the Lord has designed for you. Every person in here has a, has a life that the, the Lord is calling to you. See, what was important to Paul wasn't his life. What was important to Paul was what the Lord had called him to do. And the same is true for you and me. We've been called to live an abundant life, which means by making much of Jesus. So when we see Jesus is more precious than the immediate, when we see Jesus is more precious than right now, then we are free to live the way we were meant to live. That, that's what we need. See, freedom isn't found in doing whatever your desire tells you to do. The world is lying to you. When you hear things like, live your truth, what if my truth says that your truth is a lie? Who's right? The world is lying to you when they tell you that if you want a good life, do whatever feels good. We understand that doing whatever feels good always leads to death. And if you don't believe me, what if, what if you just only ever ate what always tasted good? So what if you, you lived your life just eating Miss Birdie's chicken Alfredo? And that's all you ever ate, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. See, Miss Birdie's chicken Alfredo is delicious, but if that is all you ever eat, you will die. Yet the world says, just do what feels good. Just do what feels right. Just do what feels natural. The problem is that our nature has been corrupted. The problem is, is that doing what our nature wants will kill us. But doing what the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to will give us life and life abundant. It, it will give us freedom. 
See, truth is true freedom, and that's what matters. But freedom is found in submitting your life to the one who is true. Real life, real freedom is found in submitting your life to Jesus. It's found in not living for the temporary, but living for the eternal. So here's, I've got two questions I want to ask you, and then I'm going to be done. Do you live like eternity matters? If you're, if you're a Christian in here, this is my question for you. Does your life look like eternity matters? Does your life look like you are aware of eternity at all? Why do you live like eternity matters? Well, you live to fight sin and to fight for holiness. If you're gonna live like eternity matters, you, you live on mission where God has placed you. And so you, you share the gospel with your friends. You live like eternity matters. You, you understand that that the most important thing isn't what happens now. The most important thing is what prepares me for then. But then the second question is this, is are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for eternity? If you were, if you were to, to leave this life, if your life were to end tonight, are you ready to stand before God? Are, are you ready to answer to him. You might say, Ethan, are you, are you just trying to scare us tonight? It's exactly what I'm trying to do. The book of Hebrews says that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And the good news is, is the gospel frees us from having to fear that. So what is the gospel? How can you know, how can you be ready for eternity? I wear this bracelet on my wrist and some of y'all, many of y'all are probably familiar with this. It's got three circles on it. You see it up there. The three circles are this, is that God didn't design us. He didn't design this world to be tainted by sin. He, he, he didn't design your life to be broken. He didn't design marriages to end. He didn't design people to die. He didn't design cancer to reign. He designed this world to be good. And he designed us to live in perfect fellowship and in perfect harmony with him. The problem is, is that we sinned. The problem is that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were our representatives. If Adam and Eve were, were obedient and faithful, then they get life. But what we know is that through Adam came sin, that sin entered the world and through sin came death. See, sin leads to brokenness. Sin leads to broken bodies. Sin leads to broken people. Sin leads to broken homes. Sin leads to brokenness. Brokenness is our shared experience. We all have felt pain. We all have felt suffering. We all have felt trials. We all have felt problems. And then what we try to do is we try to fix this brokenness ourselves. So we say, I'm gonna try to be better. I'm gonna try to do better. I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be like this. I'm gonna be like that. And what happens is, is the more that we try to fix our own brokenness, the more brokenness we experience. 
So I'll give you an example from my family. Alcoholism and addiction runs rampant through my family. On both sides, I have alcoholics and drug addicts. And I'm not talking about like a third cousin twice removed. I'm talking about a sister. I'm talking about grandparents. I'm talking about aunts and uncles. And the reason alcoholism and and drug addiction runs rampant through my family is because my family, just like your family, is not perfect. My family, just like your family, has experienced brokenness. And so, so what many people in my family have tried to do is they have tried to numb that brokenness. They've tried to heal that brokenness by turning to alcohol, by turning to drugs, by turning to this, by turning to that. And what that leads to is more brokenness. But see, the, the, the Lord has provided a way for brokenness to be fixed. And it's not through what we can do. It's not through what we can try, but it's in, when we repent, that's when we turn from our sin. We believe the gospel. When we turn from it, we say, you know, I'm not gonna live for myself. I'm not gonna live for my sin, but I'm gonna believe the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ was God's one and only true and perfect son. That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that he died a sinner's death in our place as our substitute. And that on the cross, Jesus took all of God's wrath that your sin deserves and that my sin deserves and that he was buried, and that three days later, he rose from the grave. When he he rose from the grave, he conquered sin, and he conquered death, and now what Jesus does is he offers you freedom. He he offers you forgiveness. He, He offers you life, so that you don't have to try to fix your brokenness on your own. You don't have to try to mend yourself on your own, but instead, you can bring it all to Jesus. So all of that hurt, all of that pain, all of those problems, rather than thinking I've got to carry it around on my own, right? I've, got to, I've got to handle this on my own. I can't let anyone see it. I've got, to, I've got to keep it hidden over here. Now know what Jesus says. He says, bring it all to me. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so now you don't have to hold your brokenness here as if you have to deal with it on your own or as if you can't let anyone see it or as if you can't handle it. No, you can take it all to Jesus and Jesus takes it. He takes that brokenness and he gives you life. And then when we believe the gospel, when we, we put our trust in Jesus, then what happens is we are freed to recover and pursue God's original design, which was a relationship with him. Not only that we would know him, but that he would know us. See, when we sin, when we live a life of sin, what we're doing is we're being less than human. We're being less than what God created us to be, but when we trust the gospel and we follow Jesus, then we're being what we were created to be and we can recover, we can pursue God's design for life. We can pursue God's design for the world, for your life. 